Hi, everybody, and welcome to another week of Her Story on the Rocks. Katie and Allie are finishing up our wonderful vacation this week and preparing for a great season 10 that we can't wait for. So today what we decided to do is repost one of our favorite episodes from season two. It's episode 19. We can't wait for you guys to hear it and tell us what you think's different and how we've changed over the years. Have a blast. See you next Thursday with season 10. weekend ended up throwing axes at urban axes which was super fun because they put you on like a bracket like in competition but then in the semifinals i get put up against producer oh come on so it's not even fair and i think it makes sense because i was the lowest in the semifinals and he was the highest so it's like you know how the brackets work where like you cut each other out Mm -hmm. well it's like i was like god well now i have no chance if it was someone else i would have been like i got a chance Mm -hmm. but producer will not lose to me at anything <laughs> ever ever even if he had to Except jump mini golf i think you're a lot better at mini golf than him but i've never beat him really i'm really good at mini golf but i've never Damn. beat him that's unfortunate it is <laughs> he won't let it happen it's like <laughs> you know how moms lift a bus off of their dying child <laughs> i feel like that's the energy he gets when i'm about to win <laughs> It's really stupid. It's like the end of every sports movie where like <laughs> yes. the plucky underdogs come in and ducks fly together. <laughs> ducks fly together. Without it making any sense, right. he just wins. How'd you win? <laughs> Nobody understands. <laughs> Whatever. Oh my god. So now again I have to be the first place female instead of the first place overall, which makes you want to stab someone in the eye. <laughs> it's fine. You'll get there one day. I promise. You should just go. One day. <laughs> Pretend you have like business meetings or whatever and then just like go to Urban Access like every night. He's so <laughs> I should challenge him to ballet. Ooh. <laughs> I might win. That's great. All oh. right. Well, I think we need to get into the episode. I'm so ready. <laughs> this is Herstory. On the rocks. This is a podcast where us two middle class white ladies talk about other not middle class white ladies typically. Yeah. Actually, in my case, I am tonight. Tonight, but. mine's a monster. <laughs> so <laughs> yours is fictional. We just make things yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm Allie, and I'm not talking about an Allie. <laughs> I'm Katie, not Katie Kirk. Um, <laughs> I'm Allie, not an alleyway. <laughs> and we talk about women in history. But we're not historians. Not historians. We just do a little research uh-huh. and we patch stuff together and hope that it makes sense. Yep. Quick clickety click on that keyboard on Google. Yeah, sometimes we are the, there. Sometimes <laughs> the stories make great sense, and sometimes sometimes we're not drunk at all. Sometimes no. we're obliterated. Yeah, and we talk about our periods too much. Yeah, I don't know if we're never not drunk at all. <laughs> sometimes we're not drunk. Okay, we're like we're tipsy, hazy, hazy. That's a good way to describe I don't it. Know what. Is that a word? <laughs> Well, welcome to the podcast. And I think because this is a podcast, you can't see these people. You can't see these people. You can't see us unless you go to our Instagram. Um, so we are going to get a little physical, physical. Who are you doing tonight? I am doing Medusa. Whoa. And I'm so excited. Medusa in her 
early portrayal is mm-hmm. so much different than present really? day Medusa, which I love. So she used to be um, like, you know, on pottery and like mm-hmm. carved out of stone. And she had a very like sunken yet bloated face, almost mm. like a corpse. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Because her head was obviously cut off. Um, and she's almost ghoulish in those Ooh. pictures, like where she's either like growling or like her mouth is hanging open, like she's dead. Mm-hmm. So very creepy and monster-esque. Um, but then in later versions, she is ravishingly beautiful with snake locks mm. adorning her head. She is a monster, but she's also mortal. Mm. So instead of being like a demigod, I'm going to coin the phrase demi-demon because she's like <laughs> able to be killed. Well, it's so funny because your very own sister corrected me one time when really? I was reading a book um, <laughs> called The Voyage of the Basset to Caroline, your daughters, Caroline and Eliza. My very own sister. And <laughs> your very own. <laughs> And I was reading it to them and <laughs> I was in the back seat. I don't know why we were in the same car. <laughs> Where were we going? Who knows? Um, and they were asking, they're like, Oh, like what, what was Medusa? And I was like, Oh, she was like this lady who like had snakes for hair or whatever. And Marjorie goes, she goes, uh, actually she's a Gorgon. <laughs> she is. <laughs> we're going to use the word Gorgon. And I was like, they're four and <laughs> two. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> She's a librarian. It does I know. matter. <laughs> That's also what I love about Marjorie is like, she's like, I'm going to correct you. I don't yeah. care if you like it or she not. She will correct everybody <laughs> when they're wrong. And it is lovely. Um, yeah. But she is a Gorgon. And we're going to use that phrase Excellent. today. But she is right now portrayed as a very sexy human. I was going to say, I always think of her looking very sultry. Very sexy. And with like a greenish hue to her. Um, She's more snake-like, but not so snake-like that she looks like Voldemort. You know what I mean? Like, she's very sleek. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, none of us know what her eyes look like because anybody who has been lucky enough to look upon her eyes has not been able to tell the tale. And then again... She has unruly snake-like hair, which maybe she's just a curly girl who didn't have a mom with curly hair. (laughs) This poor child did not get the right product. And it's not fair. I have a daughter like that. I have no idea what to do with it. I'm like, God damn it. It's so big. So Medusa, we'll get you some curl cream. Perfect. (laughs) So that's what Medusa looks like. All right. Uh, I am doing Evelyn Nesbitt. Uh, she has long, thick, flowing brown hair, often worn uh, kind of loose. Uh, so it's either completely down and tussled or kind of half up and half down, um, which was meant to represent her as in between a girl and a woman. Mm. So Victorian women, uh, once you turn 16, you had to put your hair up. And then you were not allowed to wear it down like out in public, you know. And so she was always portrayed... Um, as kind of having like this loose tussled hair because they wanted to have her be like attractive, like an older woman, but also retain like her girlish youthful Mm. innocence. Love it. Which was kind of weird. Um, but she had soft lips, beautiful, clear skin, dark almond shaped eyes that looked kind of knowing. She had a very like sweet, like petite, delicate nose and it, I mean, she's just, I mean, she's known as like one of the most beautiful women that women that ever lived. Right. Like <laughs> to exist, to exist. Um, she's no Medusa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I can say about 
Evelyn Nesbitt. I'm sure we're going to post a ton of photos because she's heavily photographed. She's like only photographed. Yeah. Like the only photograph ever. Um, Yeah. So I think from now on, when we describe people instead of like from a scale of one to 10 for women's beauty, we should do like a scale of Evelyn to Medusa. (laughs) Where does she fall? Gorgon to it girl. (laughs) Great. Well, now that we know what they look like, we should get into this drink because it's delicious. And it's not pink. I haven't tasted it. It's not pink. Both of our drinks are going to be like on the yellow to green orange Mm, scale. Middle of the rainbow. In the scale of Roy G. Biv, <laughs> we're right in the middle. Excellent. Um, so this is called Satan's Whiskers. Woo! And it is actually named after um, a character in Evelyn Nesbitt's story. So that'll come. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. So it is an ounce of gin, half an ounce of dry vermouth, half an ounce of sweet vermouth, um, half an ounce of orange juice. Where'd you get all this vermouth? <laughs> <laughs> I got to catch up on my vermouth okay, game. I yeah. have so much of it. Um, uh, uh, orange liqueur, a dash of orange bitters, um, and you just shake it all up and you pour it into a glass served not on the rocks. <laughs> Cheers. Mm, it's off the rocks. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I like it. I like it too. It's it's like it has orange juice, but it's not sweet. Yeah, the orange bitters do that. Yes, which is nice. Mm-hmm. It like they cancel each other out, like mm-hmm. in an algebraic equation. <laughs> um, Solve for x. <laughs> Solve for orange. <laughs> Nesbit equals. Okay, I, I'm done. I, I, also, I could not stop thinking about that scene in Toy Story where Buzz thinks that he's Mrs. Nesbit. <laughs> I know. Don't you see the hat? I'm Mrs. Nesbitt. It's the same thing I thought. I was like, why do I know that yes. last name? <laughs> Spelled differently. Right. Apparently. But. As far as YouTube. The same, clip pronunciation. I watched on YouTube same pronunciation. Um, so Evelyn Nesbitt, mm-hmm. what I know about her is pretty much if you in your head picture any old ad or like like classic like pinup item Mm -hmm. it's it's her that you're picturing oh yeah she's like so heavily photographed and was the face of every magazine billboard poster but literally other than her face i know nothing (laughs) about her i know it's a wild story i cannot wait (laughs) because i'm like i know this girl Mm -hmm. but i don't know her her story. <laughs> <laughs> Way to plug the title. Yeah, no. Well, tell we're me get all about her. It. I'm so, so ready. <laughs> she was born Florence May, or sorry, Florence Mary Nesbitt on Christmas Day, 1884 or 1885. It's kind of debated. Some, Is she Jesus incarnate? <laughs> yes. Some people say that the, her records were uh, burned, but others say that her mother just forged her birth date to actually make her seem older than she was because... She wanted her, she needed her to work earlier. Child prostitution rings? No. <laughs> Not that? That's Shirley Temple, okay? Okay. Uh, so she was born in a small town near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Winfred Scott, an attorney, and Evelyn Nesbitt. So her mother was originally named Evelyn, and she took her name later um, as like her show name. That's what Harriet Tubman did. Yeah, it is. You're Crazy. right. Exactly right. Uh, she would later have her younger brother, um, but 
it was her birth that would literally make the news. Local newspapers reported that she was the most beautiful baby to ever be born in the county. Shall we say a Gerber baby? Yes. <laughs> she was the original Gerber baby. She is the original <laughs> spelled with an E? Original. <laughs> and just everybody wanted to get a look at this baby. They're like, wow, what a gorgeous baby. Which... <laughs> I don't know. Babies do look like gremlins when they come out. That's true. Actually, there are some where I'm like, okay, that's a pretty attractive baby because they all look like potato face today when they come out. Um, She had a very close relationship with her father. Um, He encouraged her in everything that she did. He was constantly reading her books, particularly adventure books, which were usually read to boys. Um, And he encouraged her to pursue her her interests. He built her a whole library. Um, even when those interests turned away from education and started to focus on singing and dancing, he was super supportive. Mm. But, Can you tell me the year again? Sure. Uh, she was born in 1884. Got it. So, and she's around 10 or 11, her father suddenly passes away. No. Which not only left her personally devastated, but let the, left, the finan- <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> left the family in financial ruin. They had to sell their possessions and adapt to a nomadic lifestyle. They traveled between single-room boarding houses and families' houses. And eventually, she just had to send her younger brother, Howard, to live with family because the mom could not support two children. She just had nothing going on. Like, she just, like, completely on her own for the first time. Which is the big problem with not allowing women right, to have exactly. jobs. Right, <laughs> <laughs> So, she got some loans from some family members, and she bought a boarding house to try and make some money. Um, but she was kind of shy and timid. So she was like, okay, well, Evelyn's really pretty. So she would send her to get the payment from the patrons, mm. which like, I mean, <laughs> Evelyn's like 12 years old, like <laughs> doing this. And you got so, it, you got it. You know, <laughs> no, she was, no, she was probably like still 10 or 11 at this time, actually. So, uh, this completely fails. Uh, not successful. And after this, she decided, okay, well, I'm a pretty good seamstress, so she becomes a dressmaker. Eventually, they moved to Philadelphia, where Evelyn, who was 14 at the time, and Howard, who was 12, so she got Howard back, uh, they began working with their mother at a local department store called Wanamakers. Wanamakers. I don't know how to pronounce it. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Wanamaka. They were all pulling 12-hour shifts seven days a week when Evelyn's life took a dramatic turn. Seven twelve. <laughs> so they are walking down the street in Philadelphia and this artist, this female like fine artist sees Evelyn on the street, approaches her and says, Oh my gosh, you have the most perfect face I've ever seen. Will you pose for me? And she kind of looks to her mom and she's like, can I do it? And she's like, okay. So she hires her and she sits for, I think it was like five or six hours <laughs> for a dollar. <laughs> What? And so How but much after was a this dollar back then. I don't know. So she agrees and so they do this and then her picture kind of starts going around this fine art community and she is becoming quite popular. Sculptors, stained glass artists, painters, they are all dying to get Evelyn in the portrait studio. She is symmetrical AF. She really is. And she's starting to realize, okay, I can make a lot more money doing this. So she begs her mother to allow her to change career paths, and she begins modeling for all these artists. Because at this time, 
like photography wasn't as advanced. So if you wanted to like reproduce an advertisement, it was a pen and ink drawing. Mm. It was a painting. It was a drawing. So she's doing this. The family eventually moves to New York City where her mother's job options dry up. And Evelyn's ramped up even more. So her mother finally agrees to let Evelyn become the breadwinner for the family. And she starts really encouraging this modeling thing. Soon. Stage mom, stage mom. (laughs) (laughs) Soon she is posing for some of the biggest artists in New York City. And becoming one of the most famous faces in the city. Because by the time she got to New York, it was a lot more... um, photo printing was a lot more accessible, like photo reproductions. Mm. So then she's starting to get photographed, not just drawn. Right. And so her photograph is just being reproduced all over everything. And I bet that's almost a shock to people because when you see a drawing of someone, they can draw out your blemishes. Mm -hmm. Like things can be fine-tuned, but if it's a photograph, you can't do anything about it until Snapchat. Right. And it's like, oh my God, like you're actually a perfect face. Like, (laughs) wow. I mean, she literally comes on the scene at the exact right moment. She's being paid twice the amount that other models at the time were making because her face is that beautiful. Two X. Love it. (laughs) Um, she is regularly on the covers of Cosmopolitan, Vanity Fair, Harper's Bazaar. She was advertised in every home product you could even imagine, like toothpaste and hand cream and powders and all that shit. Her face was printed on tobacco cards, postcards, playing cards, beer trays, pocket mirrors, chromolithographs. This girl, like... You name it. Guys, <laughs> literally Google her because you will know who she is. Yeah. Like, you've seen this person your entire life. You've seen her everywhere. And you have no idea it's her. She's posing for calendars for Coca-Cola. Yep. I have them. Life insurance. Other corporations. <laughs> She's, like, the very first pinup girl. She is the first it girl. Like, before, as one historian said, before we even knew what it was, she was it. Like, she is... It. Okay, so she's the most sought-after model in New York City and was completely booked all the time, but she kind of got bored of modeling what? and she wanted something more exciting. Because another thing, too, was... Okay, this is another interesting thing. So America was just coming out of the Civil War. Right. And they had all this pornography from the soldiers because they were alone on the battlefield and they had tons of pornography. But also at the same time, Anthony Comstock and the group for the suppression of vices was around and they're trying to squash out all the pornography suppressing vices it's real fun (laughs) so the photographers get around it by saying oh this isn't pornography they're being dressed like roman goddesses (laughs) in the droopy loose clothing right (laughs) yeah like it's art So, and that's a lot of the things she's doing. It's very seductive, very off the shoulder, very coy. And so a lot of like men are buying these photographs. So she's super famous, literally with every single person in (laughs) America. It is soft core. Yeah. Photographs. Yeah. Yeah. So. On purpose. From the 1800s. On purpose. (laughs) So she asked her mother if she could pursue an acting career, and she reluctantly says yes. And she meets with John C. Fisher, and she was cast as a chorus girl in a wildly popular show called Floridora. And she. Floridora? (laughs) 
her older grandmother. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> her great grandmother. Got it, got it, got it. Um, so she is in this show and she is like upstaging the main stars. Because oh, <laughs> she's so beautiful. But everybody hates her. Everybody I'm sure. hates her. Oh my God. Mm. Nobody likes the younger person that's good. Mm-mm. That sucks. We got to get better at doing that. I know. <laughs> And soon after that, she starts getting other small parts on Broadway. Um, but the reviews always focus on her looks and not her acting ability. So we have like no idea whether she had any talent whatsoever. <laughs> we, we still don't know. No. <laughs> so that's great. This is around 1900 and 1901. So she was about 15 to 16 during this time. So while she's in Floridora, she notices that one man in particular is coming to see the show. Every night he comes to the show 40 times, sits in the front row and only looks at Evelyn. So he's a stalker. So he's a stalker. He's the, who's the guy who's obsessed with Heidi Klum? He was, he was the showrunner for the last season of Gilmore Girls yeah. that ran on the WB. What was Rosenthal. Rosenthal. Yes. 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 yes insane. Yes, he's yes. a stalker. He is an insane. He left his entire family to pursue Heidi Klum. Yeah. Who had no idea who he was. Right. And she was still with Seal, I think. She was wearing to Seal. <laughs> <laughs> That's this guy. Guys, look him up. He. Rosenthal. <laughs> he wrote a play about her. Type in Rosenthal hyphen colon slash Heidi Klum. Mm-hmm. It'll come up. It's insane. So. But it has to be hyphen colon slash. Yeah. If you don't type that in, it won't work. <laughs> the dark net. So he... The dark net. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. So he just comes and he starts to get really obsessed with her. And it turns out to be famed New York architect Stanford White. He designed mansions for the Vanderbilts and the Tiffany's as well as the original... Original. <laughs> the original. Mad- Madison Square Garden. What? Mm-hmm. Was he the Tiffany's house blue with a white probably. ribbon? <laughs> he had a ton of power in New York. So he arranges to meet Evelyn through a chorus girlfriend and arranged a lunch with her at one of his snuggeries. Ooh. Which were nondescript locations where he would meet young women who were not his wife. Because mind you, he is married. Why is this called a snuggery? Snogging? Like in, in your, like in I think because they're like snuggling. Like snuggling Ooh. up. I don't know, but they're called snuggeries. And the one he <laughs> went to was above the old FAO Schwartz building, which Ooh. just grosses me out. Like above a toy, a toy store, above a toy store. And this is a young girl, a fifteen-year-old girl, uh, pedophile. Ugh. So, mind you, also, it was a law. I think in 1885, having sex with someone under 18 was illegal. In 1885, yeah. That shocked me. Progressive. <laughs> Get it, guys? Anthony Comstock is a liberal god. I'm just kidding. He they, was the worst. They are so he worse. He restricted so many women to birth control and contraception. <laughs> oh my god. Anthony Comstock is terrible. Okay. So. Thumbs down. She goes. She is led through a secret door that opens automatically into what she describes as an incredible red room with deep red curtains that blocked out any sunlight. Oh, my God. Like in Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't know. I've never seen it. <laughs> Reddit, you mean. <laughs> or Reddit. So she's here. like, never seen anything like it. She's like, wow, this apartment is crazy. And she really liked the apartment, but she hated Stanford White. He was 48 years old, large and imposing, with red hair and a large red mustache. 
You know I mean, how I feel this about thing is ginormous. It is like Yosemite Sam. Really? Yes. Like Look up tur- a picture of him. I can't it is wait. huge. I'm picturing so, velvet all over this apartment. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're <laughs> wait until you see, hear about the big velvet reveal. Oh. Okay. And that is actually why I picked this cocktail. So this is, all takes place in the Gilded Age, which was named after a quote from Mark Twain where he said everything was gilded on the out, like gold on the outside, but rotten to the core on the inside. Oh, thank God, Mark Twain. Can we, that's still <laughs> true now. <laughs> so I called this Satan's Whiskers because it was a Gilded Age era cocktail. So this cocktail was made during this time period. And I think that Stanford White is Satan and he had a giant mustache. So Satan's and, Whiskers. And he had a red hotel room. Oh, yeah. And a red mustache, mind you. Okay. What a crazy person. I cannot even. Literally a cartoon character. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> they have lunch and Evelyn is led to an upstairs room, which has a large red velvet sex swing. swing. <laughs> <laughs> you called it. A large red velvet swing in the middle attached to the ceiling. So nothing crazy happens in this first visit. Okay, because her friend is with her, her chorus girlfriend. So she's there the whole time. I have a sex question. Yes. So with sex swings, are Mm -hmm. both people on the swing? Yes, typically. From what I remember from that episode of Sex and the City where Samantha and the guy are on the sex swing, they're straddling each other. So I feel like it would be really hard to get any thrust. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it'd be easier if somebody was on the floor and the other person was swinging. <gasps> what? <laughs> I don't know. You can't have constant contact, I feel like. <laughs> I don't know. It, it makes sense. Swing Watch the episode me. of Sex and the City. One, it's a very good episode that yeah. that one is in. I've seen all the episodes um, of Sex and the City, but, but I just don't get it. But somebody educate me online about okay. sex swings. I personally, I can't understand. So there was no sex in the swing right now uh so they're just playing they like you know her friend is holding up a parasol and she's trying to kick it with her foot and like it's all innocent right now Mm. so but then after this visit he is even more obsessed with her he's like you are almost perfect what (laughs) he said you are almost perfect he did not he sends evelyn to a dentist to fix her teeth because she's a poor girl she like does not have money to fix her teeth. Like, so he sends her to a dentist to have her teeth fixed. This is where the British are culturally superior yeah. to us. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she, she soon becomes his protege and he decides to sponsor not only her, but her whole family. He pays for cosmetic procedures for Evelyn. He moves her whole family into a lush apartment and even paid for her brother to go to school. And he just teeth cosmetic or like and nothing else was stated, but I think he like paid a lot of money to like, you know, makeup people and hair people and things like mm, that to keep her looking it. good. And he would like buy her lots of clothes and stuff like that. Fancy. Stuff. Uh, he visited with her and her mother very frequently, bringing her presents and books. And he even introduced her to Charles Dana Gibson, who would produce the most famous portrait of her. Yes. Okay. Charles so, Dana Gibson. Any boy with a girl name in there is good. Is a good person. (laughs) Just gonna say. So he is most famous for creating the Gibson girl. And if I I I think I posted a couple weeks ago actually this great photo of a Gibson girl. I personally love these pen and ink drawings. They're absolutely beautiful. 
Uh, so it were, there were these old pen and ink drawings that was the personification of the feminine ideal of physical attractiveness. Mm. And it was during this 20-year period from the late 19th, early 20th century um, in the U.S., he saw this creation as representing a composite of thousands of American girls. Huh. So sometimes he would have specific ones posed for him. Like the one of Evelyn Nesbitt is very clearly her, but the other ones are just like very attractive middle-class women. Kind of like a collage of what it would look like to be yes. a woman. yes. Uh, the Gibson girl was always of upper middle class and always dressed appropriately for whatever outing she was attending. She was the modern woman. She is pictured playing tennis. She's pictured on the beach. She's pictured biking. Like, just all these different things. And the one of Evelyn Nesbitt, though, is one of his most famous. It is called Woman, colon, The Eternal Question. And it is a side portrait, so a profile portrait of Evelyn, her hair is fashioned, like tussled on the top, but just like one giant long curl kind of coming over her shoulder. Very Elsa. Very Elsa. And so it looks like a big question mark. Mm. It is gorgeous. And the portrait is named after Freud's famous quote, the eternal question is what does a woman want? Which, fuck you, Freud. Um, oh, we're going to and- fuck with Freud later with <laughs> really? my story. I can't wait. <laughs> but also... I feel so interested, right, in the idea that we, for so long, have been painting what the ideal woman looks like. Yeah. Can you imagine if we objectified men in this way? Mm -mm. There are so many rich, like, famous, wealthy men with just, like, beer guts and, like, disgustingness. It's Mm -hmm. like, get your shit together. Yeah. Come on, Ben Affleck. Get it together. <laughs> Falling apart at the scenes. Come on, Chris O'Donnell. <laughs> Ooh. He played Robin at one point. Now he's on NCIS. <laughs> you don't know who Chris O'Donnell no. is? Now that you said Robin, I know who he is. Like when he went with George Clooney. He was yeah, the yeah, Robin yeah. with George oh, Clooney. Oh, I know. It's my, it's, like, it's my favorite Batman movie. Holy Rusted Metal, Batman. I hate Michael Keaton. <laughs> he was a trapeze artist. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He rode motorcycles. I know. He's the rightest. <laughs> Guys, I'm okay. not. I'm not fashioning <laughs> men. I'm just saying. Can you imagine if we held them to the same standards? That would so, be fun. Throughout this time, he Stanford White is gaining the trust of her family. So mm-hmm. especially her mother. And he's talking to her mother one day, and he goes, "So where? Where's your family?" And she goes, "Oh, they're all back in Pennsylvania." He goes. Family is so important. You need to go back and visit them. He sends her to Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. The mom? The mom goes, I don't know. I don't know about leaving Evelyn here all alone. She's only 16. He goes, I will take care of Evelyn. I promise you. Uh, liar. Sends her to Pennsylvania. Okay. So her mother's that seems gone. illegal. <laughs> <laughs> it was illegal even in 1901, whenever this was. That's crazy. So she is invited to a party at the Madison Square Garden Tower. Mm. So picture, it was actually a square back then. <laughs> Madison Square Garden is a square. Right. And on one of the corners, there is this giant tower. Wait, now it's a stadium, right? Now it's a stadium, okay. like a round stadium. Basketball, right? Basketball. Knicks. Whatever you want to call them. So, <laughs> the Knickerbockers. Isn't that the real Steve name? Steve Brady's favorite team. <laughs> <laughs> no! 
Okay. So there's this big, huge tower, and on the top of it is a giant statue of Diana the Huntress. And people are already like, I don't like that. That's risque. Whatever. But because he designed Madison Square Garden, he has his like own pri- private like suite in this tower. Great. Okay. Get so, it. She goes to the party at the Garden Tower, uh-huh. and he opens the door, and she's the only one there. And he says, isn't it a shame that everyone else turned us down? Well, I guess we'll just have to have a party by ourselves. Ugh, gross. He's 48. She's 16. Gross. Let's reiterate that. Gross. Okay. So he said, let's just come inside. We'll hang out. Here's a glass of champagne. Normally, he would only let her have one. He was very strict about her drinking when they were out and about and snoozing and schnob popping, whatever you want to call it. So he continues to give her glass after glass of champagne. He knows exactly what he's doing. He takes her up a staircase she has never seen before to a portrait studio. Then he pulls back a curtain. They go back through another door to a private room with a large four-poster bed covered in light bulbs that changed colors with every wall in the room with mirrors covering it. He's going to take nude photos of her. No. Damn it. (laughs) I was on a roll. No, he... Okay, so they're in this room. He's going to do worse than... Worse than that. I don't want to know. So... But tell me. (laughs) So she's in this room. She's like, what the hell? He dresses her in a yellow kimono, gives her one last glass of champagne, and that is the last thing she remembers. My God. Was it roofied? I don't know, because she might have also just been drunk. You know what I'm saying? So she was either roofied or just really drunk, but that's the last thing she remembers. Ugh, that sucks. She wakes up the next day naked in the bed, laying next to a naked Stanford White who explained to her that she belonged to him now, and he reminded her that a girl must never talk. She looks at herself in one of the many mirrors surrounding the bed and screams because she realized that she had just been raped. Again, she was 16. Stanford White continues to dote on her and her family, even one time filling Madison Square Gardens with sugared rose petals and showering her with diamonds for her 17th birthday. Fuck this guy. And also, okay, so that's happening. And she just, she can't do anything. Like, to get a rape conviction in 19... we can't get him now you can't get him now it's absolutely outrageous so she feels so trapped she doesn't know what to do so she just kind of goes along with it she's like all right whatever like i'm just gonna keep going like he's wealthy like okay whatever so she gets another big part in a play called the wild rose where another gentleman she notices is sitting in the same seat every night in the front row watching only her hmm Similar to Stanford White, he asks one of the chorus girls to ask Evelyn to lunch. This is a thing. I can't with this. Like, yeah. this whole possession oh, thing. Yeah. It's, it's like you keep going into a store looking at the same cardigan. Like, maybe I'll buy it. Yeah. Maybe I'll buy it. And then you're just like, can I get that? Yeah. It's messed up. It's fucked up. This, yeah. This story is really I don't know up. why a cardigan was my example. <laughs> I swear to God. That'd be a really good cardigan. I swear to God, I buy good clothes. (laughs) So So, she meets with him and he calls himself Mr. Monroe. They continue to, I'm doing air quotes now, run into each other. 
Hmm. Not on accident, obviously. And eventually he reveals his true identity. He's, his name is Harry Thaw. He is the heir to a $40 million fortune. Get it, girl. Okay. He was <laughs> incredibly spoiled, outrageously unstable. Great. And he would literally do like crazy things to prove his wealth. Like he would do that cartoon thing of like lighting up a $100 bill to light his cigar. Like he's that fucking asshole. Yeah. He's that asshole. Okay. His mother would give him a monthly allowance of $18,000 in their money. So he That's has $2 million in today's money a month. He is a building at, at a um, college named after him, I'm sure. Probably. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> so <laughs> he would never need to work a day in his life. So he just spent his time fucking around. And he was from Pittsburgh. Which is funny because that's kind of where Evelyn's from. But his family is from Pittsburgh, so the people in New York thought he was, like, trash. They're like, we don't give a fuck that you light your cigars with $100 bills. You're not from Manhattan. But, I mean, so- everybody <laughs> outside of Pittsburgh thinks Pittsburgh is yeah. trash. <laughs> Let's be perfectly clear. Sorry, guys. We're from Baltimore. No offense. Ravens Nation. We hate um, you. <laughs> you're, just, you're just rivers and buildings. <laughs> It's like you built our nation with steel. Sorry. Yeah, JK. Also, I went to Pittsburgh once and it was lovely. Yeah, yeah. I went to your Hard Rock Cafe and bought a magnet. I had a... (laughs) So funny. You went to a Hard Rock Cafe. I went to like this weird vegan cafe. (laughs) Franchise. Woo. Okay. So, where am I? Um, Okay. Manhattan thinks he's trash. Lighting his Manhattan thinks he's trash. So, he is always trying to kind of like up his game in Manhattan. He's showing off. And one of the ways he tried to do this was with young, beautiful actresses. He's like, okay, they're my ticket in. And he is obsessed with them. Specifically, though, and this is what makes him a real fucking weirdo, he is obsessed with their virginity. Ugh! I hate boys so much, Katie. Me too, especially tonight. Uh, they would li- he would lie to them and tell them that he was an acting coach or an agent. And when they arrived... Okay, this is really messed up. So a big trigger warning to any survivors of domestic abuse because this is horrendous stuff. He would torture them. He would scald them with hot water. He would tie them to the bed and he would whip them. His mother would then pay these women thousands of dollars to not press charges or say anything. So she knew this was happening. The mother did. Uh Uh-huh. Evelyn did not. She had no idea because her mother had, his mother had paid off these women. This mother's a piece of shit. This mother's a piece of fucking shit. And we'll get more into that later. Okay. So he is, and, but she, and like, so uh, he's kind of trying to pursue Evelyn because he's like, okay, she's the it girl. I want to be with her. And she is not interested. He's sending her diamonds. She sends them back. He sends her a baby grand piano. She sends it back. And he is proposing to her over and over and over again, Evelyn, marry me. Marry me, Evelyn. She's like, absolutely not. She was still involved with Stanford White. And she really believed that Stanford was going to leave his wife for her and marry her. (laughs) (laughs) But then... Girl, have you ever seen a TV show? Yeah. (laughs) You know those classic 1900 sitcoms? (laughs) Where they never leave their wife for their mistress. (laughs) So, but then she realizes that 
White not only is not leaving his wife, but he's seeing other chorus girls behind her back because, according to him, she was already an old maid by the ripe age of 17. An old maid? An old maid. (laughs) So, Girl, I'm a corpse. She was so angry that she started a relationship with famed stage actor John Barrymore, who we know as Drew Barrymore's, like, great-grandfather. Woo-woo! Okay, so... He was 21 at the time, and for some reason, her mother says absolutely not. She was totally okay with her spending the night with a 48-year-old guy who was raping her and not okay with her having a consensual relationship with a 21-year-old person in her same profession. This is the blinders. This is how people have put on the blinders for decades. Oh, he's an older man. He must know what he's doing. Mm -hmm. I can't see around me. Fucking open your eyes. He's raping your daughter. (laughs) As a married man. On a velvet sex swing. (sighs) So. Jesus Christ. She is sending Evelyn to boarding boarding school. So Evelyn goes off to New Jersey and is sent to boarding school. Um, But while she's in school, she has a medical emergency and she has to have her appendix removed. Shit. And her mother can't reach Stanford White because he's too busy fucking 15 and 16 year old chorus girls. So. She reaches out to the other middle-aged rich man who is way too interested in her teenage daughter, Harry Thaw. Jesus! What is wrong with this woman? (laughs) I don't know. Stage moms have been bad since 1885. (laughs) (laughs) It's outrageous. So, Harry Thaw goes, okay, yeah, absolutely. I'm going to send my team of doctors down. They remove the appendix. And then he goes, you know what, Evelyn? You really need to recuperate. Come Let's go to Europe. <laughs> so he goes, Why don't you and your mother go on a nice vacation in Europe and just like relax? Oh, by the way, I'm also coming. Let's get married um, while we're there, so... Chris Hayden. <laughs> Chris Hayden. <laughs> and so while they're there, they're in Paris, and her and her mother <laughs> have this huge fight. And her mother goes, you know what? Like, fuck you. I'm leaving. Her mother goes back to United, the United States, leaving her daughter with this strange millionaire Let's in a foreign know. country with no cell phones. Let's be clear. <laughs> 17-year-olds and their mothers get in fights all the time. All the time. But not in fucking France. Don't leave the... <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. So What's happening in the world? Eventually, so they're on this trip together, and they start talking. And he goes, okay, seriously, I want you to tell me about Stanford White. Like, what the hell happened with you guys? And she tells him about the rape, and he is furious. Because he, he likes virgins. Because he loves virgins. He doesn't. Her V-card's gone. completely distraught. He starts weeping uncontrollably oh, because he was obsessed with virginity. And he is just... He cannot handle this information. He is so upset. So, all right. One of the other facts of this tour they were having in Europe, it was kind of like a virginity tour. So they were going around to famous virgin landmarks. They go to Joan of Arc's birthplace. Right. And he writes in the guest book, Joan of Arc would not have remained a virgin if Stanford White had been around. Jesus Christ. (laughs) What is wrong with him? (laughs) He's crazy. So, (laughs) they're continuing their virgin tour. (laughs) 
He rents a Not Madonna's <laughs> version tour. <laughs> like a virgin. Um, <laughs> but she was not touched for the very first time. No, no, she was not. Somebody else had already fucking raped her. Yeah. Okay. And also, like, she had had more consensual sex. I mean, we'll put that in quotes, too, because she was fucking 16, and he had already raped her. So we'll put that in quotes, consensual sex with Stanford White. That's but they the power had thing. had we a We longer... talked about the power we thing. We did. So... He rents a castle in Germany <laughs> right. for them to stay in. Of course he does. And one night, he sends the servants away. They are all alone. Eyewitnesses. Keep an eyewitness. Keep them there. They are all alone, and she wakes up to him standing over her completely naked with a whip in his hands. No! He attacks her. He rapes her. Wakes up the next day as if... Nothing had happened. So he leaves, goes to his bed. Mm -hmm. She wakes up alone. He pretends it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Like, here's a grapefruit I cut for you, honey. Mm -hmm. He continued this pattern of behavior for two weeks inside an ancient Gothic castle in Germany. Can you imagine anything horrifying, more horrifying? He's, she's like literally a prisoner in a castle. Yeah. Yeah. Holy hell. She goes to a doctor for help, but he does nothing. She's like, look at these bruises. Look at these cuts. I've been being whipped every night. Help me. Help me. And he's like, yeah, everything looks good. Like, (laughs) because Stanford White was paying him. He had so much money. So. Oh, my Jesus. Thankfully, they're running. I know. (laughs) Can you (laughs) imagine? You did not expect this story, did you? I didn't. I'm like going to (laughs) vomit. So she runs into. On this trip, an older woman who was actually a friend of Stanford White's, she goes to her and said, you need to get me the fuck out of here. And she shows her her bruises and her whip lashes. And the girl goes, I got you, girl. She gets her on the first boat or whatever they had back to New York. Because women are fucking cool. Because protect your lady friends. So Don't let them go alone to the bathroom (laughs) or the bar. Or Gothic Castle in Germany. (laughs) I mean, duh, not a cocktail <laughs> journey. <laughs> so she goes back to New York, but then she realizes she's completely abandoned. She's got nothing. Her mother won't talk to her. Stanford White is moving on to younger chorus girls. Younger and than 17. Younger than 17. <laughs> and she's like, I don't want to go back to Thaw. And, but he is unrelentful. Like, he is not relenting in his like search for her. So he sends her flowers and gifts and he's apologizing and asking her to come back. What about actor boy? John Barrymore. I'm sure he had moved on. Yeah. So, so he is doing all this. He does this for two years and she sends her shit is begging for forgiveness. Says it's never going to happen again. (laughs) Oldest line in the book. And she agreed to marry him. You are fucking with me. I'm not. I swear to God. I got all this information from Phoebe Judge on Criminal. <laughs> and <laughs> I would trust her with my life. <laughs> Which, let's give a little source recognition because Phoebe Judge has an excellent two-part episode on Evelyn Nesbitt and I Stanford just, White. I can't even. She's going to marry him? She marries him. Has she seen him since this incident? I don't know. The details He's are a little fuzzy. Her stu- okay. He's sending her shit. It's April- the 1900s. They didn't have Instagram. Right. <laughs> April 4th, 1905, they get married. Thal refuses to let her wear a white wedding dress. (gasps) Instead, 
dressing her in a black dress with brown trim. Sarah Jessica Parker. (laughs) (laughs) Going, I didn't know it was fierce until SJP came around. (laughs) Matthew Broderick. Did you know she regrets it? I did. I heard her say that. I loved it. Her photos are gorgeous. They're great. Matthew Broderick. What a dream. Um, Dream bed. God, I love them. Okay. So (laughs) they get married. Um, But even when they're married, so he is having her constantly tell him the story over and over again of Stanford White raping her. Why is he so into that? Because he's a psychopath. So she realizes he's like, oh, he's more interested in the story and in Stanford White than me. Like he is like just so obsessed with this her whole losing situation her virginity to specifically also Stanford white. Mm. So he soon started to hire guys to follow Stanford white and gather incriminating evidence <laughs> against him. <laughs> he wants to bring him down. I can't, but with this. there's a major flaw in the plan. They were both guilty of raping a minor. <laughs> so they couldn't take each other to court without incriminating themselves. <laughs> Because it was illegal to do this at the time. This is insane. And then his obsession is just growing and growing and growing. He sends her back to the dentist to have the dentist undo the dental work that Stanford White had paid for. So he fucks up her teeth, which can you imagine how painful that was? To re-fuck them up? To re-fuck them up. Can't you just take her retainer away? Isn't that the thing? (laughs) They didn't have retainers. (laughs) And... He just completely holds her up and he takes her back to Pittsburgh. She's in this big old stuffy house in Pittsburgh, not living the life she thought she would. And she's just Rooting so for depressed. The Steelers and yeah. the Penguins and the Pirates. Uh, penguins are all right. <laughs> <laughs> JK, I'm a Caps fan. Um, so he, it, she's like, God, this fucking sucks. And he goes, okay, okay, I understand. You're upset. Let's go to Europe again. She's like, great. That worked out so well the last time. No, no more castles. No (laughs) No more more castles. So he goes, we'll go to Europe. We'll just hang out. We'll have a really good time. Let's stop in New York the night before and see this new play at Madison Square Garden. Stanford White's going to be there. Mm -hmm. So on June 26th, 1906, they go out to dinner and then they go to see Mademoiselle Champagne, the newest play happening at Madison Square Garden. Throughout the whole play, I mean, it is June in New York City. It is hot, 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 hot in this theater. Stanford White, I'm sorry, uh, Thaw, Harry Thaw, is in this giant coat. And he is sweating and sweating and sweating. What's in this coat? And Evelyn was like, why don't you just take your fucking coat off? It's a bomb. It is a thousand degrees in here. Is it a bomb? Damn it. And he's like, shut up. I'm not taking my fucking coat off. And he just absolutely refuses. So the end of the play is nearing. And so because Stanford White had built Madison Square Garden, he had a special table that he always sat in. Mm. And at the end of the play, he comes in and takes a seat at his table. This was the moment that Harry Thaw had been waiting for all night. In front of 900 people... Thaw approaches Stanford White during the final number of the play entitled I Could Love a Million Girls. Mm. He shoots him in the face and the back three times and people think that it's part of the play. What a John Wilkes Booth! (laughs) 
real JWB here. <laughs> People thought it was part of the play. Jesus. So they're not doing anything. The orchestra keeps playing. Play till the ship goes down. You play, play till the till- ship goes down. <laughs> did you know? What did we learn from the Titanic? Okay. To so never let go. They- <laughs> to get drawn naked. To dr- play till <laughs> the ship goes build down. Build bigger doors. <laughs> um, so he... <laughs> So people think it's part of the play, but then they slowly begin to realize that like he's, Sanford's not getting back up. He's fucking dead. I mean, his he's face dead. He's is, legitimately dead. His head is obliterated. You know how those old muskets or whatever they were are like his face is obliterated. I don't. <laughs> I've never shot a gun in my life. <laughs> Me neither. Thank God. Okay. So and then they realize that he is standing over his body going, you ruined my wife. You ruined my wife. And he is immediately arrested uh, <laughs> once yeah. they realize what's going on. So and wait, two, kill two birds with one stone. Rapist one, rapist two, gone. Right. right. <laughs> so geez. Evelyn says, why did you do it? And he said, I've saved you. What don't you understand? I saved you and all the women in New York. Like he thought that he was this knight in shining armor. He thought he was saving them. He was just into kinky sex. <sighs> He needed he needed another girl into kinky sex. He needed the internet real bad. They needed a safe word. Where's your so, safe word? I know. So the press coverage was obviously immediate and relentless. Also, no sympathy for Thaw. No sympathy. <laughs> no, none at all. Um, Evelyn is still only referred to for her beauty in all this coverage. She is referenced to as this like beautiful, thoughtless deer, just like you know. You know, because I mean, obviously, like, she did not do anything wrong in this situation. Let's be clear. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're portraying her as kind of this like weak little thing. Busy being and, raped. And this story became huge. People all over New York and all over the U.S. are talking about it. No idea. And the play that they had gone to see, uh, Mademoiselle Champagne, which actually <laughs> had pretty bad reviews up until this. It was not a good play. Blow it up. out every night because people just wanted to be in the place where Stanford White had been shot. Thomas Edison even produced a Nickelodeon <laughs> called The Rooftop Murder because this particular theater was like on the rooftop of Madison Square Garden. Nickelodeon. Like, amazing. So, <laughs> um, so people would go, they'd pay a nickel to watch a reenactment of the crime over and over again. Oh, my word. And, of course, the trial of the century began. And Evelyn was, of course, the star witness. The defense wanted to claim innocence by reason of insanity, but the Thaw family had way too much pride for that. Mm. And they were like, we don't want our heir to be known as a crazy man all across America. Put him in jail. So they coined this term. Give his wife the money. Dementia Americana as his defense. They make Evelyn go on the stand and testify for days, reliving what happened with her and Stanford White all over again, just repeating, repeating this story for the courts to convince the jury that Stanford White is the real criminal. And they're trying to paint, like, wouldn't you feel the same way if, if your, your wife, wife was raped? Yeah. Oh, my God. And, of course, she's not allowed to say what actually happens with her husband, Harry Thaw. Who also raped her. Uh-huh. So, of course... The prosecution decides to take Evelyn on and cross-examine her in the most brutal way. 
So she right now is in just like the worst position. And then she's on the stand and they are showing the jury all these risque photos she took when she was 15. And like, didn't you ask for it? Right, exactly. Oh it is God. like the first instance of that. But what was she wearing? They're like, but why were you wearing a, a kimono and laying on a bearskin rug and like showing know. your shoulder? Because they gave me lots of money. Right. That's why. And they're parading her around as this loose party girl who knew exactly what she was doing. And like, and again, saying she asked for it. Thaw's mother then decides to sweep on in, as she does, and she pays professional psychiatrists to go on the stand and make false scientific claims that it was indeed possible for Harry Thaw to be sane before and after the shooting, but not during due to mental distress over Evelyn's virginity. It resulted in a hung jury. That is insane. 900 people saw him walk up to this man and shoot him. And they cannot convict him. <laughs> they try him again a year later. Oh my Evelyn God. has to go through all this again. But this time, more evidence is coming out about Harry's past. Those women who had been paid off are coming forward. Yes! They are girls! like, fuck you. March, you whipped March, and March. tortured me and poured yes. scalding hot water on me. And his mother goes, okay, maybe we're not going to win this one. So she agrees to plead to an insanity defense. I also love hot water. <laughs> not like during sex, but just in general. Good. Just to lighten Good. the mood. <laughs> so he is found not guilty due oh to reasons God! of insanity. And he is sentenced to a mental institution for the criminally insane in upstate New York. Well, to be fair... Mental institutions were hell back then. Yeah, they were. They weren't prison, yeah. but they were hell. Mm -hmm. It's not like that was easy. But also, I'm sure he was in like a rich person. Can we please just sentence him to death? Mm -hmm. Let's do that. Well, that's what the lawyers kept saying. They're like, you don't understand, Mrs. Thal. Like, he is going to be put in the electric chair if you don't agree to let us try for a reason of insanity. Ugh. She was finally like, okay. Okay, so, fine. Okay, fine. Even from a mental institution miles away, he is paying people to follow Evelyn around New York City and report back on her every move. And for years after, Thaw's mother kept her, kept Evelyn on this super tight leash because she controlled the purse strings now, and she despised Evelyn. She would visit Harry upstate, and she would beg him to convince his mother to give her just enough money to pay her rent. And October 25th, 1910, so just to be clear on the timeline here, the shooting happened in 1906. So now we're in 1910. Four years later. Four years See later. See that math? <laughs> I could be nice. Ada Lovelace. <laughs> so he's been in jail for approximately like two to three years. Um, Evelyn gives birth to a son. His no, it can't is debated. be. Can't be. Russell William Thaw, whom she always claimed was Harry was Harry's biological son, because she's like, no, we had conjugal visits. Like, right. trust me, it's his son. Harry denied that it was his, and I feel like if it was Harry's, he would totally say it, but he denied it completely. I love that. So, Harry is released in 1915, the same year that him and Evelyn divorced. So at that time, she was like, I'm done with this. Done with you. We're getting divorced. Um, 
So that's 1915. 1917, he is arrested again for kidnapping a young boy and whipping him nearly to death. Of course. He literally rented out an entire hotel so that nobody would hear him scream. Why can't, why, so why can't we up. just put away pedophiles forever? Right. Like, let's just <laughs> get rid of them. Just don't let them out. Like, come on. Like, this guy's obviously insane. There's an easy answer to this problem. <sighs> so he is sentenced and put in another asylum for another seven years and released again. Mm. He continued to torture showgirls until the day he died. So... Back to 1915, when they divorced, she received $25,000 Evelyn did from the Thaw family. And <laughs> that's not, just... That's, how much is that in today's money? Oh, my a gosh. A lot, probably. It was, it was a good bit. Um, but just to spite them, so she finally gets this money and gets this, you know, gets what's hers. And she's like, you know what? Like, fuck you guys. And she donates all the money to famed anarchist and supporter of women rights and contraception, Emma Goldman, AKA red Emma. You're kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> I love that. So I really want to do an episode on her cause she's super interesting. Yes. Um, but we actually have a really great cafe here in Baltimore called red Emma's. Yes, it's really good. Do. It's um, a co-op work environment where like all the employees are part owners and it's awesome. Um, they just moved for the third time actually. Yeah, I don't even know where they are now. Uh, so after the divorce, Google she it, tried Google to Google continue it. her career in show business to support her and her young son. Um, but people, they kind of had a distaste for it at this point. They're like, you're only trying to capitalize on your popularity because of the murder trial. So it wasn't Shut going super up. well. Um, and in the 20s, she became a, propri- a proprietor, however <laughs> you say that word, of a Manhattan tea room. But a tea room. Mm-hmm. I'm currently really reading. <laughs> I'm currently reading memoir of a geisha. So tea room means a lot Ooh, to me. <laughs> interesting. Um, but during this time and t- continuing into the twenties, because of the stress of everything, she fell deep into alcoholism and morphine mm. addiction while also performing in burlesque shows on the side. But she's very specific, not as a stripper. Mm. Well, stripper. burlesque shows aren't strippers. They're just they naked aren't. dancers. Yeah. Um, difference. But she said she kept her clothes on for the most part. I don't know. <laughs> Back then, burlesque shows did. Yeah. Like, the burlesque show I went to was in Vegas. Oh, really? There weren't clothes in that one. <laughs> they have really fun ones um, in Baltimore sometimes where it's like a sketching party. So you bring a notepad and the burlesque dancer, like, poses in different things every, like, ten minutes. And you draw, draw it. Her. It's That's really fun. fun. I think it's called Dr. Sketchy. It is fun. And I love going to like old themed burlesque oh, yeah. shows so where fun. it's like very like Western style mm-hmm. saloon girl stuff. But that's not real life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's all pretend. So um, in 1926, uh, she attempts suicide, which is very sad. Right. Um, and Thaw is out of jail by this point, And he... Is worried about her, so they kind of meet up and they actually <laughs> reconcile. They don't get back together. And let me remind you, he's still the worst. Um, but he starts giving her like a little more money to help her out. Technically the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, then he, so Thoth finally died in 1947, uh, but he left her $10,000, which is <laughs> like one one hundredth of what he was worth, which is right. so dumb. Um, she published two memoirs about her life, 
1914, actually, while this was all happening. It's called The Story of My Life. That's when World War I started, for reference. Interesting. 1914. And another in 1934 called Prodigal Days. Mm. Uh, There was also a highly fictionalized movie about her life called The Girl in the Velvet Swing. Of course. In 1955, where she was hired as a technical producer, Mm. which was the last time she would have to revisit her tragic past. Oh, thank God, this poor woman. I know. Her son Russell would grow up to be a very accomplished pilot alongside other greats of early flight, such as Amelia Earhart. Yay, yay, yay! And she spent the remainder of her days as a sculptor and a ceramics teacher in California. And I saw some of her things, and they were beautiful. Um, And she died on January 17th, 1967, at the age of 80. 82. And that is the life of Evelyn Nesbitt. Do you know what is absolutely bonkers about this? Not only the idea that like like beauty brings you trauma, but like that if everybody listened to last week's episode, she was born around the same year as Coco Chanel. And then her parents died about when she was 11 or 12. And then like she's going through this mayhem of like nonsense. And That's this woman, crazy. yeah, Evelyn obviously went through way more bullshit than mm-hmm. than Coco Chanel did, but it's like the idea that beauty can be your downfall oh, is yeah. horrifying because so many women strive to be beautiful. Yeah. And then the ones that are are tortured. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Crazy. I was yeah. not expecting <laughs> that at all. I, I was, was like, really hoping. I was like, I hope Allie doesn't like Google no, Evelyn Nesbitt before no, this no, no. I, I really try not to because I want to feel it. Like, yeah. And I felt it. That was crazy. Yeah. It's such a good story. My favorite murder has an episode, but it's funny because like, like the first time I heard about Evelyn Nesbitt was on Criminal Podcast. Florence, Florence um, Mary and Nesbitt. <laughs> Florence Mary as Nesbitt. Um, I first heard about her on Criminal. They have a fantastic two-part series because they, so there's a woman, a historian who wrote a book um, called like, Oh, it's American Eve. Mm. And it's all about Evelyn Nesbitt. And she was the one Phoebe Judge is interviewing on Criminal. And it's amazing. Most beautiful woman. Most beautiful woman. Look at my notes. (laughs) She has Eve written very big on there. In all caps. I love that. Because that really is the name of the book about her. Can't wait. Um, And My Favorite Murder does a really funny coverage of her, I think, in episode like 136. Mm. Um but yeah, you think about <laughs> <laughs> just to guesstimate. Maybe, maybe maybe it was one thirty six. Maybe it was maybe uh, it was. I don't know. <laughs> and yeah, so that's it. So Are you ready for a? Drink? I'm ready for another drink. Let's I'm excited. <laughs> we'll be right back. Bye. I am so ready to tell you about this drink. You yes, have it looks no idea. amazing. So we just took a sick boomerang of it. Can't wait till you see it. <laughs> this is called the Cobra's Venom Cocktail, and there is a YouTube video about how to make it, but I don't think you need it. <laughs> so each of these. Um, alcohols is 20 milliliters, which is about half a shot. Mm -hmm. So when I was making it for two, I put a full shot of each of the four alcohols in the shaker so that we would have the same amount. So it's about for an individual person, half a shot of vodka, half a shot of gin, half a shot of brandy. And then you mix it in the shaker with orange juice 
and then dump it in the glasses. And then over the top, because orange juice is yellow, you dump in blue carousel and that turns it green from the bottom up like a snake. It's amazing. So fun. You know what? We've been getting a lot of use out of this blue carousel. <laughs> Girl, you know how you're real big on pink cocktails? Yeah. Apparently, I'm the only one who's used it, but I keep using it. But it's just because I feel like the characters I pick lend themselves yeah. to a very like very blue, colorful cocktails. Yeah. Yes. I, so I don't know. It just keeps happening, <laughs> and I'm fine with it because what else am I going to do with right. it? But I always saw myself as a green pucker girl, and now I'm like a blue pucker girl. <laughs> I don't know what to do. You're like changing as a person, Allie, like right before my eyes. <laughs> it's like, I, I mean, I've grown. I've Who grown. are you? <laughs> All right. Well, cheers. I'm, I'm excited. Really excited. Cobra's venom. Cobra's venom. Right on top of devil's whiskers. Mm. Fun, right? All the Satan tonight. It's super <laughs> Satan. I mean, and the stories super trigger warning for rape mm-hmm. like my god oh what my is gosh happening? this is tasty Do you love it i really like it mm. it's a lot of fun yeah it, it's really delicious and if you know anything about your color reel <laughs> yellow orange juice and blue carousel make for a cobra cocktail oh yeah it is i love that it's green with a light green at the top. Yeah. So it's like lime at the top, and then it just continuously gets darker and darker as the glass goes down. Physics. We'll post a photo of it. Physics, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I can't with it. So, all right. If you want to be cheeky, garnish it with gummy worms. Ooh, I actually thought you might do that. Uh, <laughs> just waiting for a gummy worm tonight. Oh, shit. <laughs> I've got some Sour Patch Kids in the cabinet. <laughs> Not the same. You're right. Um... Okay, I'm excited to learn about Medusa. Tell me what you know. So You know the things everyone knows, right? I know the thing everyone knows. <laughs> Maybe not everyone knows. She's a Gorgon. Thanks, She's, Marjorie, uh, for that fun fact. Thank you, Marjorie. Um, I know that she has this <laughs> head full of snakes. I know, full of them. Full, I know that she... Oh, it was like... I've, I've heard the story one time, mm. and I don't remember, but I know if you look at her, you turn to stone. Yep. And that's, I'm, that's all I'm going to say. Straight up. <laughs> straight up to stone. Okay. So I broke this down into segments. Okay. <laughs> I broke it down into, like, Greek mythology, mm-hmm. and then Medusa's story, and then, like, present day shit that people mm-hmm. think. So that we could, like, all get it together. Okay. Perfect. So, obviously, Medusa is the most popular mythical creature oh, of yeah. all time. She makes men shake and makes women smirk. Ooh, she is like, I like that. an object of lust and fear. And that is, like, my goal in life. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> all I want. It's kind of like, it's like, don't be an Eve, be a Lilith. Yeah, like, <laughs> Don't be don't be Aphrodite, be Medusa. It's all I want <laughs> is for people to be like, oh, she's pretty. That should be the new saying. Uh, oh, shit. She's scary as hell. <laughs> That's all I want. I feel like I'm halfway there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you definitely are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, wait, what's our new saying? <laughs> Not from, from Don't Evelyn. be an Aphrodite, <laughs> be a Medusa. <laughs> We're just skipping Athena altogether. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's part of this story too i'd also like to be athena because she's super smart i mean the <laughs> the only reason this story is going to make sense go back and listen to the athena episode from season one because it has a lot of pertinence yes right now 
also the story of Ada Lovelace is cool and we paired them together. Mm-hmm. So that's just a good episode. Listen to, listen to that to. whole episode <laughs> and it'll help you out with this episode because we're going to talk a lot about wisdom versus sex, Ooh. which is important. So her father is in Greek mythology, Forxus, and he's one of the sea gods. And in the Hellenistic area, era (laughs) he was portrayed in a mosaic as being a sea merman with a fishtail and that's pertinent because fishtails move side to side unlike ariel's mermaidness which is up and down which is a dolphin tail that's different they're different types of mer people and what is the starbucks person the starbucks person you can't see her bottom half you can in the original ones I don't know. We have to look. Is she th- is she a up a downer or a cider cider? I think a side to cider. Then she's a fishtail. So she's a fishtail. Interesting. Not a dolphin tail. So she's not a mammal. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you need to know. So she um, he also her father has these crab claws that protrude from like his hip bones Gross. because he also has human hands up in his torso, but his bottom half has these crab claws, and he has red spiky skin. So. Just for reference. Sounds like a Futurama character. My God, I know. (laughs) For reference, we haven't evolved much in history. (laughs) The Hellenistic era is the Greek era of history between the defeat of Alexander the Great and the end of when Cleopatra and Mark Antony were banging it. Okay. So it's like that time. Yeah. And her mother is Quito. She's also a sea monster, but she's a primordial primordial sea goddess and she's the sea goddess of large or scary sea creatures which is like whales sea monsters sharks gyarados big squids gyarados (laughs) (laughs) all the big ones so they're both sea gods or goddesses but they're minor gods okay minor gods versus major gods big deal Got it. Nobody cares about minor gods. <laughs> You're stupid. You're like a state senator as opposed to like a governor. <laughs> You're nothing, Jon Snow. <laughs> so these two, Forksies and Keto, are brother and sister. Ew. And they hook up to make a whole bunch of monster babies. They're Good. like, let's make all the monster babies to fight back against the gods. They make 10 monster babies together. <laughs> 10 is what I could find. And, um, all of their monster babies are like connected to some crazy creature or scary animal as per snakes, which I know you are like uh, horrified of. Uh, yeah. Horrified of. And that's the goal. All 10 of their children are horrifying and connected to a horrifying animal. <laughs> that's so sad. It's the worst. I hate that. But they just kept making monster babies. Wow. So the most famous of these children are the Gorgons. They're three sisters, all with snake hair. In some stories, Medusa's the only one with snake hair, but in some stories, all three of the sisters have snake hair. Oh my gosh, I did know that because, again, in The Voyage of the Basset, which is a fantastic, beautiful book. Read it. My dad used to read to me. She's pictured as having these, like, hideous sisters, but, like, she's the attractive one. Correct. And, like, they're kind of seen as, like, rescuing her from this in this thing yeah it's a really good book it is and there's a lot of backstory to like medusa and mm-hmm. her sisters as gorgons but like there's one like commonly agreed upon story where they're like not part of okay which i don't know it's hard to say what the story is so i just made a guess <laughs> 
The oldest sister is Steno, the forceful. She has brass hands and sharp fangs. She is immortal. She's the most independent and the most ferocious. She has killed more than both of her sisters combined. <laughs> Damn. Damn, girl. <laughs> the next one is Uriel. Uriel. And, Uriel. And Sounds like Ariel, but like with a urinary tract infection. And done. <laughs> Go to patient first, girl. So she is known for her. Get your copay on. <laughs> God, we need universal health care. She's known for her bellowing cry, which is not like siren esque. It's more like horrifying, but okay. still like attracting to people because they're like, what the fuck's happening? You know how like when somebody yells fire and like shit goes oh, down. Oh, yeah. So she's also immortal. The youngest of the three Gorgons is Medusa. Medusa means guardian or protectress. And she's the only one of the three sisters that for no reason is mortal. They have, there's no clear reason in any of these stories. It's a story archetype. Everybody in the stories is like, because she's the only one that's mortal, blah, blah, blah happened. But it's like, nobody's like, why is she mortal when her parents have all these other babies that are immortal? I don't understand. So one in a million. (laughs) Yes. Maybe Papa cheated. We don't know. One in a monster. Oh wait, mom had to cheat. Right, mom. Has, right, yeah. I'm sure. Mom probably banged the mortal. Maybe they're dude. like seahorses. Maybe it's what God did all maybe the time. He has babies too. Yeah. Is that a seahorse sound? That's what they do in Ariel, right? Doesn't he announce Sebastian? <laughs> Watch it. Ooh. Seahorse announces Sebastian. Definitely the second story. <laughs> you know. So, in all these stories, she is typically considered the only one who can turn people to stone. She's typically considered the only one with snake hair. And she's always considered the youngest, the most vulnerable, and the only one that's mortal. The earliest mention of Medusa as not a Gorgon is by Pindar in 490 BC, where he says, fair-cheeked Medusa. Ooh. This is the first time she's acknowledged as a pretty, pretty lady. Uh-huh. And then in this early Gorgon area before that, like they were sometimes living with and sometimes were the sisters of the Gria, which are later known as the fates. So uh-huh. these two parents also birthed the fates. They share an eye. They share love a it. tooth. I love the fates. Yeah. The, these guys... They had lots of scary babies that became famous. Just Medusa's the most famous of their babies. Okay. It's like if you had lots of kids and one of them's Taylor Swift. <laughs> you know what I There's mean? There's a movie coming out about that with Justin Bieber. Have you seen the trailer for what? it? What? <laughs> it's about, it's like a fake story about like a Justin Bieber type character, but it focuses on his siblings. It's <laughs> just like, yeah, our brother's the most famous teen pop star in America right now. <laughs> Like, I don't know what the fuck to do about it. Yeah, well, that's how it is. Okay. So she's super famous, but everyone's around her. And these fates, they live in the utmost place. But the Gorgon sisters in later stories are living in Libya, which, if you know, your geography is directly across the Mediterranean from Greece in northern Africa. Okay. Northern Africa is super connected in this period in history with all of the Mediterranean trade. So they got the good spices. You know, <laughs> mostly from Asia, but <laughs> Africa was good at trading because they're so close. Like right, the boat yeah. connection is so fast. So, um, 
(laughs) (laughs) After the Gorgon's birth, they're rarely mentioned together, which is a weird thing. So, like, Mm. Medusa's kind of always on her own in her adulthood. Mm-hmm. Our most famous story of Medusa is the one that we all know well and we all commonly agree upon. And it's from the very well-respected poet Ovid, O-V-I-D. And he writes about Medusa as if we all know her. Mm. So we can assume that there are stories that were commonly passed around Greece that we might not know, but he's just like continuing it. So here is the story. Medusa was a loyal young woman who spent her youth training to be a priestess for the goddess that she worshipped and believed was the strongest of all Olympus goddesses, Athena. So if you go back to season one, you're going to find Athena, the goddess of wisdom and all things about her. Now, we know that Athena is a virgin goddess of wisdom. And in order to be a priestess in one of her temples, which minor gods and goddesses children's had to be you know dedicated to a god she was required to be a virgin and give your life to the service of that god she wasn't required to be a virgin she was required to serve a god or goddess and she chose athena she wanted so badly to be a virgin priestess for this goddess which Mm -hmm. is a big deal to her she is Stunningly gorgeous, most notably her long flowing hair Mm. that everybody is just astounded by. And she is often compared to Athena's beauty. Now, in some stories, Athena is jealous of this. But in my opinion, Athena has never been a jealous goddess. Gods and goddesses are known for being jealous. But Athena and her wisdom is typically logicked out of being jealous. Mm -hmm. So... Many suitors start confronting her because they're so interested in her hottie hottie ass. <laughs> and hottie hot, hottie hot, 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 hot. But she's not interested. She's wearing these like pretty clothes and she's working in a temple and she's practically a nun. Mm-hmm. But she is saying, no, I don't want to be with you. I want to be a priestess. I don't want to be looked upon. Stop looking at me. Like, leave me alone. But then... Fucking Poseidon begins to lust after Medusa. And of course. Of course. He's a major god, not a minor god. Him and Athena are major gods. And he plays Peeping Tom for a while. And then he she turns him down. Medusa's like, no, I want to be a priestess. This is my role in life. This is what I want to do. I love her. And just for a backtrack on Poseidon, he is a well-known pedophile and rapist. And he would disguise himself as many different creatures and men and force himself upon women. So then Poseidon, as a major god, has a conflict with Athena, who's a major god. And he thinks, well, Medusa's one of her prized possessions. To piss her off, let me take her from Athena. So she's seen as like a piece of something he can take from Athena because obviously Athena is a virgin goddess and you can't do anything about it. So Medusa keeps turning him down. He gets tired of this and decides I'm going to take her by force. Mm. Medusa runs into Athena's temple, hoping that that would help her. But Poseidon being a major God doesn't matter. He follows her and rapes her on the steps of Athena, the virgin goddess's temple impregnating her and then vanishes. God. 
He's a dick. No. He just leaves. And I, I feel that it's inter. I keep hitting the mic. <laughs> I feel that you it's. You do that so much. <laughs> I feel that it's interesting that he is like the god of the sea, and both of her parents are sea right. creatures, and like he's so enthralled with her, like he must go after right. her. You'd think that he'd be enthralled with somebody of some like different element. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's like you'd think that. She's of the sea, so you'd think he'd have a million people like Medusa. Right. Or demigods, whatever she is. Demi-demon. Crazy. Demi-demon. <laughs> it's a Gorgon. Or a Gorgon. <laughs> so it's insane because Medusa, she's there on the steps of the temple in her weakened form after being raped, like just so upset because she spent her whole life trying to serve this virgin goddess, and now she can't. Ugh. When she's praying to Athena for forgiveness, she's praying for forgiveness for what she has done. And Athena's enraged. Athena's like, oh my God, Medusa lost her virginity and now she's tainted and now she can't work for me and that fucking sucks. And she can't punish Poseidon because he's like, Poseidon, Zeus, and Hades are like the big three. And she's Athena, so she's up there, but she's not quite up there. Mm. So she can't punish Poseidon, so she quote-unquote punishes Medusa. Now here's what she does. She turns her hair into venomous snakes, and her eyes are transformed so that when a beholder sees them, they are transformed into stone, specifically marble. Now, Mm. for a rapist... Is this a rape e? Is this a punishment or protection? Athena has protected Medusa from any further rape. I have never thought about that. That's really interesting. Holy fuck. It kind of reminds me. So, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You know this episode. I do. A couple <laughs> weeks ago, they were talking about how the staircase in the girls' dormitory when Slides a boy down walks on the staircase, it immediately turns into a slide so mm-hmm. they can't get up. But Hermione goes to the boy dorms all the time. Right. Right. Protection. Uh-huh. I've never... That's a really good lens to look at it through. She protected her. Yeah. She said you... Because she still loved her, but she couldn't allow her to be in her circle the way she had before. Right. So she's but like... still like... I love. It's like... It's, it's a sign of like love. Yeah. She's like, I still love you, Medusa. She's like, you have been been sought after your entire life and you hate when people look at you for only your beauty. So therefore... Let me help you with that. Let me help you. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> wow. wow. She's great. Thank you, Athena. So <laughs> Medusa is impressed, but also really scared of her new powers. And then yeah. she becomes this formidable monster who fights back against all of the gods and goddesses. And it becomes mm-hmm. this thing like, okay... You need to deliver Medusa's head on a silver plate. Mm-hmm. So even after she becomes this thing that Athena tried to protect, it's now like, okay, now we're going to send every hero warrior after you to get your head. So even after she's not the stunning beauty, she's still being sought after by every famous hero in history history what and she's like god damn it (laughs) so get away it's it's so annoying but every man that comes at her she's just like oh check out my eyes and turns them to stone (laughs) every single one they all smize them turn to (laughs) 
Thank you, Tyra. Thanks. Tyra's the modern day Medusa. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been smizing? Um, ANTM season a hundred. Haven't been practicing. <laughs> I need to practice more. <laughs> but Perseus, this is what works out. Perseus is the son of Zeus, and he goes after her head, but only because his mother is being forced into this marriage with King Polydectes, and Polydectes is like, I'm so sick of your son Perseus trying to break off this marriage <laughs> because obviously I am taking you as my own, mm-hmm. and Perseus is like, fuck no. So he goes, hey, <laughs> hey, Perseus, go get Medusa's head trying to kill him. He's trying to kill (laughs) Perseus. So he sends him off. And Perseus is like, all right, cool. But Perseus is a kid of Zeus. He's a demigod. So if we think about the birth chain here, Perseus's mom obviously banged Zeus at some point. So Mm -hmm. Zeus is like, okay, let me help out Perseus. Mm -hmm. Athena is Zeus's child. So Athena and Perseus are half siblings. And now they're like, let's get it. We can make this happen. Wait, wait. (laughs) But Athena's a virgin. Yeah, but Athena is Zeus's child. So she's looking at her half brother like, I'm going to help you. Oh, okay. So they're just helping each other, not banging. Yeah. Athena's not going to bang. She's just like, let me get it. Okay. (laughs) But not in a physical way. (laughs) Let me get it in a Christian homeschool way. (laughs) In a brain connection way. (laughs) I'm a Stephen Hawkins you. So. (laughs) (laughs) So Athena. (laughs) Athena is like, okay, I'm going to collect the gods and we're all going to give you shit to cut off Medusa's head. Because Mm -hmm. as much as Athena loves Medusa, she's like, this bitch got to (laughs) go. So Hades is like, look, you can have my helmet. It'll make you invisible. Hermes is like, Yo, you can have my gold wing sandals. They'll make you fly. Love it. And <laughs> it's great. Athena's like, let me give you this, this shield, and it'll only show you Medusa's reflection. So, like, you can mm. fight her without seeing her. Very Harry Potter. Thank you, J.K. <laughs> Rowling. And then <laughs> Zeus is like, I'm going to give you this sword, and the sword is made out of adamant stone, so you can cut her head off. That's also the imaginary hard stone that the philosopher's stone is made out of. So this is like a mm. deal. It's a big deal. Um, and he it. goes and he cuts her head off. It's fine. He cuts her head off because she's mortal. So he can do that. But after her death, she's pregnant at present when she's beheaded with Poseidon's kids. So like when she dies, immediately she births to Demi children. Right? So one of them is the famous white-winged horse Pegasus. <gasps> no, no, no way! Yay! Medusa is Pegasus' mama. Zero to hero. <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> oh my God. I've been waiting for the perfect time to sing that this whole time. 90s? 90s Disney is where it's at. That song's on my running playlist. <laughs> Can it not be? <laughs> what about Megara? <laughs> All about... Okay. I'm sorry, <laughs> get the hercules playlist so (laughs) pegasus as a winged horse this is a big deal because poseidon for those of you who don't know your greek mythology is not only a water god but he's the tamer of horses so for medusa to produce a horse that can fly away is like a fucking slap in the face she also births the other kid she has, which is like a golden sword giant. But who gives a shit about him? Yeah. So fuck him. Perseus is, and and Poseidon are like besties now. They like ride off together into mm-hmm. the night. Um, after her death, 
Perseus uses her head to aid him in all these adventures that he goes on. So one, he turns Atlas into stone. We know Atlas as the guy who holds up the sky. He's a Titan. And -hmm. if he was not turned into stone, then the sky would collapse on us. So Medusa's head keeps the sky up. That's thing one. She saved us from the sky. Women are the neck. They turn (laughs) the men whenever they want. What is that line from my big fat Greek wedding? Your mouth. (laughs) (laughs) That's a line from my big fat Greek wedding. It is. It is. It was just funnier when I said it. Women are the neck. (laughs) So one thing, she becomes the neck of the world. Yeah. Thing two. He goes to Ethiopia and he's like getting some drinks and he like sits down like a drink of water, not alcohol. (laughs) And he like sets her head on the shore, her severed head, and like it touches the water of the Red Sea and it turns all the seaweed to coral. So she creates a home for the fish with the rock coral. Love it. She's great. And then he flies to his mother who has to marry this fucking king. She doesn't want to marry. And he just shows the king the face. And then he turns to stone. So he frees his mother. So Medusa well, saves good. this woman. Then he's flying over the Sahara. And he's flying on Pegasus, by the way, not by his own accord. He's mm-hmm. flying on Medusa's child. Mm. So he flies over the Sahara Desert. And some blood drops down. And it creates all the poisonous vipers that live in the Sahara Desert. So sorry, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'll never go. And then he shows up and he's like, hey, Athena, here's the head you asked for. I'm going to give it to you. And she's like, thank you. And she puts it on her very famous shield known as the Aegis. And um, fun twist of events, her lifelong dream of protecting Athena is now true because she's She's on on athena's shield for all of eternity she can protect athena and she is fighting away evil for athena for the rest of her life damn motherfucker are you kidding are you kidding with that that's amazing so that is the greek mythology part of this okay let me get on you with everything else okay (laughs) i'm sorry about everything else by the way ahead of time so there's this incredible I think story here about beauty and horror and life and death and like the bounds of like these different pieces of a magical system. Like there's a head of a serpent, but it's being used to protect people, which present day you take serpent venom and put it in a horse to create anti-venom. That's what you do right now. So like the idea of like the Greeks knew that, a horse and a snake were connected is really weird to me. That mm, I would never put them together. I Isn't always that thought crazy? that they were like horses would be like afraid of snakes. And I think they are, but I think that their their bodies are so big that you can use them to create yeah. an anti venom for humans. But just the fact that they wrote about Medusa birthing a winged yeah. horse is so weird to me. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And then there are so the word Medusa I tried to break down so in India, Madha means memory and Manasa means destroyer of poison. Mm. In Greek, Maetes is the mother of Athena, meaning wisdom. In Greek, Maat is the truth and balance, which is the word where we get mother. Mm. And that's also the name of Buddha's mother, Mahat. Really? In Lebanon, Mazda means wisdom. So in all of these cultures, Med, Met, and Mat mean mother, medicine, or wisdom. So Medusa is the mother of medicine and wisdom. Crazy, right? 
Doesn't that blow your fucking mind? Yeah. And in 1600 BC, we have these statues of women and snakes, but nobody could quite place them. We didn't understand why it was there. And she doesn't have a name and she doesn't have a story, but she exists. So people think that she's the prototype for women's precedent with snakes. And there's like a women's snake relationship. Like obviously the Athena and Medusa thing. Yeah. Um, And obviously we can talk about like the basilisk in Harry Potter and how like the basilisk turned people to stone and Hermione is super smart. So like she figured it out. But the one we all never talk about is the fact that Eve was confronted by a snake, Eve, uh-huh. and gained wisdom by being around this snake. And it's like, these are all interconnected stories. And if we are going to believe the Judeo-Christian timeline, then technically Abraham was writing about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, yeah. while... 1600 BC, these snake statues are happening. Isn't that wild? That's so much connection. I can't wait to actually listen to this episode so I can re-piece <laughs> it together when I have not had two cocktails and a glass of wine. But I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't even That's piece it so together much. sober. I was, I was struggling <laughs> with it because I felt like on the tip of my tongue was women, wisdom, and snakes. And here's what I came up with. <gasps> what was that thing? I just said a couple weeks ago about somebody. Oh my gosh, you have to move, move with the slyness of a snake, Hmm. but with the wisdom of a owl. Something I said a couple weeks ago. Athena's mom was an owl. No, she was. Yes, she was. Yes, she was. (gasps) Métis could transform into an owl. Oh my God. Breaks your face, right? I can't. I'm going to throw my glass against the wall. It's insane. Here's, here's what I finally came up with. I toyed with it for a whole week and I couldn't understand the connection. So I decided snake equals bad. Wisdom equals good. But a woman, when she becomes a snake, she has wisdom and that's bad. (gasps) Right? Do I like snakes now? I don't know. God. (laughs) Isn't that so crazy? crazy right now it's insane because it's the worst connection you can ever make that women for all eternity or at least the last four thousand years have been connected to snakes and it's been seen as negative right (sighs) but they're medicine right even her her, the staff right the hermes staff i know exactly what the blue cross blue shield so that's one blow your mind moment are you ready for more no i'm not (laughs) Allie. That one drives me bonkers. Tell me. Sigmund Freud. <laughs> our, our friend. <laughs> our good old friend, Sigmund Freud. This one is going to just make you laugh. I can't even. And I hope so many people have things to say about my snake wisdom connection because I, <laughs> my mind was blown. So Sigmund Freud writes an article in the 1900s called Medusa's Head, and he equates decapitation to castration. <gasps> what it's great are you ready for this yes i'm ready he says the terror of medusa was reflected in the castration complex that's aroused in young boys when they see female genitalia for the first time and they figure out the truth that women don't have penises (gasps) is that a fucking thing i don't know i found out it is a thing (laughs) really (laughs) go ahead say your thing uh i was gonna say i recently found out where feet fetishes come foot fetishes come from 
tell me more, tell me more. Like, <laughs> does he have a car? It's kind of, okay, so I heard, it's like this thing that's floating around. But <laughs> when you're a young boy and you walk in on, like, your mother, like, coming out of the shower <gasps> or something, you see her naked body and, and you, you look, look down, down at her feet. Oh, my God! because you don't want to see her but then like it's also a naked woman but she's your mom and you're having these really complex feelings about it and then then you associate sexuality with feet because you're looking at her feet okay i don't know if that's true but that's the reigning theory and i think it's very interesting it is interesting and before i say this theory from freud i do want to say that all good pediatricians and child care books will tell you that at five years old, a child is fully understanding of sexuality. So like pre five, you can like be naked in front of opposite sex kids and they mm-hmm. won't get it. But like post five, it's like whatever. Yeah. And like I change in front of my kids a lot, but I have two girls, but mm-hmm. like producer will not do that. Like he'll, he'll close the bathroom door, whatever he has to do. I'm just like, come on in here while I poop and tell me your problem. <laughs> can't i got too much to do girls (laughs) it's it and they're like okay mom yeah so castration anxiety is a real thing okay i googled it everybody wikipedia castration anxiety because it's big and i learned it after reading slash watching handmaid's tales i'm gonna vomit about castration female anxiety and i know it Mm -hmm. happens all over the world on a regular basis but this is about male castration anxiety so okay it's a real thing it's the overwhelming fear of damage or loss of your penis and freud believed that the phallic stage begins between the age of three and five and it occurs when a male child sees his mother's genitalia for the first time and her he believed that Medusa was a like metaphor for this. He thought mm. that her pubic hair was represented by the snakes. Oh. And the fear that the boys felt was that there was no penis amongst these snakes. And that a boy's penis would then become enlarged and stiffen, being turned to stone. <sighs> and that for some reason, the child felt this attraction to the opposite sex, even though it was his mother. And then was mortified that his father would castrate him for having sexual feelings towards his mother. And that that is where castration anxiety comes from. And it's Medusa's fault. Freud had too much time on his hands. (laughs) Yes, he did. What the fuck is that about? Friend, get a knife and start whittling. (laughs) That is crazy. It makes it. Why (laughs) would you think Medusa had anything about that? That's the thing. Like, I, I understand castration anxiety, but I don't. Like, I think it's dumb to be like, it's Medusa's fault. Like, she's a fictional character. Like, Like, shut up. It's, I don't know. Okay. That was worth it. And then the last last portion of it is feminism in the 20th century reassessed Medusa. And they said, look, she's been called a monster. But Mm -hmm. really, she is often used to criticize male violence towards women, which is what she does. So... She's a symbol of female rage. And there have mm. been many short articles published that track Medusa's story. She's beautiful. She was stared at. She said no means no. She was raped. And then she became hardened and resentful towards men. And then they were like, what the fuck's wrong with you? So the haunted Western imagination of how a woman should act says, 
You shouldn't have unruly hair. You shouldn't have these stone eyes where you never smile. You shouldn't look at your oppressors and be angry. And they call that quote unquote bitchy. And in the 2016 election, Hillary Clinton was referred to as a Medusa. (gasps) And right. That is what Medusa has come to stand for. So I'm going to end this story on a quote from Elizabeth Johnston's book slash article slash whatever called Nasty Women. And she said, in Western culture, strong women have historically been imagined as threats requiring male conquest and control. And Medusa herself has long been the go-to figure for those seeking to demonize female authority. Damn. Damn, Elizabeth Johnston. (gasps) My God. Now you know. Now I know. I had no idea. I'm more proud to be a Slytherin. So I was (laughs) sorted by J.K. Rowling herself via Pottermore into Slytherin. You mean the queen? (laughs) (laughs) Is that what you meant? Uh, You mean all the goddesses in one? Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) The goddess, the sun, and the holy goddess? I was. (laughs) I was sorted into Slytherin and I was very upset um, because I hate snakes. But now I feel very honored. Snakes mean wisdom honored isn't it insane the connection between women and snakes i had no idea i had no i I knew they were called like venomous vipers you know what i'm saying like it's like a thing to call a woman like a viper mm-hmm. but it's just another way for the patriarchy to take us down okay they make us reptiles we need to get into a little segment because i have so much to say uh-huh. called just the two of us Oh my god! Oh my god! Are you kidding and me? We did not like. Okay, you so don't plan this. Sometimes guys. we plan things, but we. She was like, "I'm going to do Medusa," and I said, "Okay, cool. Okay. I'm going to do Evelyn Nesbit." And no planning. My was the rape god, shit. the rape shit. Because I, because the reason I picked Evelyn Nesbit to your Medusa was because I was like, their beauty define defines them, right? But it goes so much further than that. I can't even. The idea that they're beautiful, but they just kept saying no. Leave me alone. Yes. Stop. Stop. I don't Stop. want this. And like nobody is listening to their voice. No one at all. Turning men down, then men taking them by force and then being overly possessive. And they're ruining their lives. Ruining their lives. Entirely ruined. And like the, like, here's the thing that blows my mind, right? Like, mm-hmm. even though Medusa is a fictional character, mm-hmm. a man wrote that. Yeah. So a man saw this happening and felt like it was pertinent to put in literature. Yeah, because that's I think that's what I keep forgetting is that this is a fictional story that Medusa. It's a fictional story. <laughs> and the thing is, too, okay. But fiction is so based on life. Yeah, especially back then. That's yeah. all they had. That's what do you think? All, all they had was life to can't, write about and can't play with stars. <laughs> I don't know. Um <laughs> I also wrote down Monster Baby versus Most Beautiful Baby in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Yo, Forkus and Keto had 10 Monster Babies. 10 Monster Babies. Why you gotta have sex with your brother and have all these Monster Babies? And it makes me so sad because, okay, I wrote down really big virginity. Mm-hmm. I wrote it down twice, actually. I didn't even realize that. Because I- they both valued it. And they wanted I wanted it. They wanted to keep it. And I don't think that 
Evelyn Nesbitt ever got a chance to be like, you know, before she was raped, be like, you know, virginity is actually very important to me. She screamed when she realized she was not, she literally said in her memoir, I went into that room a virgin and I came out not a virgin and I did not come out the same way. Like it's so fucked up and it's so fucked up because Medusa went in and she said, this is my goal. I do not want to not be a virgin. I am going, I like, I am so steadfast in this. This is my life purpose. And then a man took that away. I think the thing that is so pertinent here is choice. Yeah. And that so often women don't have choice. Yeah. So like last week we're talking about Coco Chanel and she's just like banging dudes left and right. And it's like, slay it girl. Yeah. Get it. Like if that's what you want, go for it. But she talked to those dudes. They all figured it out. Mm -hmm. They had a sex arrangement and it went well. Yeah. But it's like, there are so many times when that is not the expectation yeah. and it happens anyway. Mm-hmm. And you are just like, what the hell do you do then? Right. What do you do? And it just bothers me so much because it was just so forcibly taken. And like in both instances, they are painted as the villain. Mm. Like Medusa is literally a monster with a head full of snakes, but that was meant to protect her. Because she had been raped. Athena had g- gave her protection. Yeah. And Evelyn Nesbitt is seen as like, I almost want to say she's painted as a gold digger sometimes. What of is like it? someone who's just involved with millionaires to get money. And she was like, no, I did not want this any step of the fucking way. I feel like it's a sparklet like on the tip of our tongues. Like, yeah. What? What? Is it about the Eve complex? It is. It's it's and <laughs> the Eve complex is so like okay. So like in the Judaic Christian belief system, like it's like picture the hottest woman you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Picture that she's been created for you. Mm-hmm. Picture that she decided to get super smart, and then picture that she got cursed because of that. Picture she has a brain of her own, and now she's punished for the rest of eternity. Not just in her lifetime, but we still talk about Medusa being cursed to right. this day. We still talk about Eve being cursed. Because she's a what? Woman. Right. You were cursed Women with have pain in childbirth in pain because in childbirth. of Eve. Right. Like, and like, I think, I don't know. It's an, it's such an intense thing that more than half of the world. So, okay. If you talk about Judeo Christianity, that part of the Bible you're saying all the Jews, all the Christian, all the Muslims believe that. That's mm-hmm. more than half of the world's population. Yeah. So more than half of the world's population believe that women were cursed with being a woman. Yeah. It's a curse. What mm-hmm. we are is a curse, which is a horrifying thing to think about. Yeah. I mean, it goes I mean, that's it's so entrenched in our thinking too. It's like because women are less than and that's the whole topic of you know women as the other and women as less than and women as like not as good as you know what i'm saying we are the weaker species and it is so frustrating because you know it seems like they since the beginning of you know this era or whatever we were associated with medicine what happened to that? <laughs> Motherhood. What, what happened? Because there are some Mother cultures wisdom. that like see women, rightfully so, as like, wow, this is the giver of life. Mm. Maybe we should respect that a little more. It's. I think it's so like we're on the verge of some sort of like 
some sort of connection that you just can't get to because yeah. we have been trained for so long to not believe that way. Right. Well, and also I think that one of the most interesting things that connects the two of them, there's a lot of things that connect them shockingly. Cause again, <laughs> we did not plan. That. <laughs> um, we know each of them for their physical appearance, appearance first. Beauty was their complete downfall. Cause one of the other stories I, th- I heard on, one of the things about Medusa was like she was punished because she was too vain mm. and she was like the most beautiful person and she thought she was more beautiful than, you know, Aphrodite or something yeah. and then Aphrodite like cursed her. There are so many stories about Medusa mm-hmm. that just are like constantly like about her beauty yeah. and she ends up a monster because of it. And I think that that is so much what Evelyn Nesbitt went through. Yeah. It's like you were so beautiful that from the day you were born, everybody wanted to be a part of your beauty, and now it's a curse. Now you're being taken into velvet sex rooms. Now you're being whipped in a castle in Germany because you're pretty. Right. And I think that it's something that... So people think it's a gift having this beauty and, like, you learn time and time again, it's the oldest story that like, it is just not, it cursed Medusa. It cursed Evelyn Nesbitt. And because people want it for themselves, but like, because you're beautiful, they think they're okay. Oh, it's so easy. It's so easy for them. So it's okay. If I take a little something for myself, why can't I just take a little something from myself from this beautiful person? Because they have it all. Mm. And it's like, no, they don't actually like, um, on a lighter note about the similarities between them, I wrote children flying. I love that Evelyn Nesbitt's son was a pilot. Yeah. And Medusa's child was Pegasus, a it's flying great. horse. Isn't that funny? Get out of here. <laughs> it's like the, it's like the separation of like that happened to you, but this generation, we're going to say, fuck it. Well, and I wrote, it kind of signifies that even if your mother is, the most despised Gorgon of mythological history or this person that people think is a harlot and a gold digger, Mm. you can get away with it because you had the gift of being male. Right. You know what I'm saying? Not just a horse, a white horse. A white horse. A white male horse. We know what that means. Sleeping beauty can ride your ass. Yeah. (laughs) That's serious business. (laughs) But, and I think that is such a perfect, like, analogy for like sons born to bad situations of like you still have that card especially like white sons born to bad situations like you got that card like i wrote down the idea of mythological rape because it lets mm. me know that people always knew it was bad and i think that gives me hope yeah. Like that people were like, this woman was raped on the steps of Athena, the virgin goddess's temple, and it was not okay. Yeah. That 4,000 years ago, people were like, it's not okay. Yeah. And we're just now getting to it, which sucks, but at least there have been people through all of history saying, this isn't cool. Yeah. I like that. That's a really good way to look at it. Cause I feel like, you know, with a topic like this, we can get really bogged down and really negative, but like, I mean, and it, <laughs> on the flip coin, it kind of makes you sad. Cause you're like, God, rape has been going on since the dawn of time. And it's, 
And still is. And still is. And it's awful. And Hey, and let's talk about Devil Whiskers, Man and Poseidon. Yes. Stop going after girls that Stop are younger it. than you. Stop, Stop it. it. And I felt so bad because that's all Evelyn Nesbitt knew. She was in love with her first rapist and then was forced to marry her second rapist Ugh. because her first rapist left her. Like, what? <laughs> terrible <laughs> it's the oedipus complex it's insane it's insane i don't know I... it's just very upsetting and men being possessive assholes and like i'm gonna treat you like shit but i still want to know that you're like fucking mine right you know i bullshit. own you i own you it's, it's just idea. like what stanford white said to her i own you now right i own you now and i feel like men of greek mythology feel like they own medusa and Athena, as one yeah. of the major gods, couldn't do anything about it. Right. She tried. Powerless. She couldn't. She was powerless. The only, oh, my gosh. You know what? Just, I just had this thought. It reminds me of how... So she protects her by seemingly cursing her. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of when in Sleeping Beauty, Flora come, or Meriwether comes by, whatever her name is, and she's like, I cannot... I do not have the power to undo this curse, but I'm going to help you in any way that I can. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like women trying to help women. Mm-hmm. That lady in Europe said, I'm going to try and get you out of Europe, back to New York, to Evelyn Nesbitt, because that is the one way that I can help you. And Athena said, I'm not. Because I said, oh my gosh, the woman in Europe. She is like the Athena. Yeah. She is like, I'm going to help you, you get out of this bad situation. But... And she's like a donor character, like we yeah. talked about in Fairy Godmother. She's like, but I'm going to give you this gift of getting you back to New York. But you got to figure it out. But you have to figure it out from here. And it's just like what Athena did with Medusa. She's like, I'm going to give you this gift of being totally unapproachable to men. You know <laughs> what I'm it. saying? My like, God, I wish I had that. <laughs> and do with it what you can and will. And... Wow, we just tied in a lot of other episodes. That's I good. I love it. It's fantastic. Well, it's because women throughout history have all been struggling with the same damn problem. God. Isn't that a mess? It's a mess. It's a huge mess. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Do you have somebody wow. you want to toast this evening? Yes, I do. <laughs> Tell me about it. I mean, I feel like I've said it a few times. To the women who people think of having it all because they're beautiful, because... It's still hard. They deal with the same fucking shit as we do. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, <laughs> I hear you. People thought Evelyn Nesbitt had it all, and she was one of the loneliest people that ever existed. Right. And it just, you know, being beautiful is a great thing, but sometimes it causes a lot of trouble. And, you know, it's really good to just kind of think on that for a hot second, mm. you know, because Instagram gives us windows into the lives of some very beautiful people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's just good to recognize that some people, even though they're beautiful, may not be okay. So check in on your beautiful friends. Check in on your friends that post really happy stuff on Instagram. Um, and just be an Athena. <laughs> be a random lady in Europe. Just help a sister out. <laughs> Even if she's beautiful. (laughs) So toast. (laughs) To you. To you, Evelyn. Who do you have to toast? So this toast is very personal for me because I'm not a spokesperson for this, but oftentimes I feel like I should be. 
So Medusa is often seen as a monster, but she was reacting to sexual assault after being punished, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. for something that she had no control over. So for all of the women who speak up and speak out and turn men's careers to stone in an Mm. instant, they become vilified for their wisdom and or for knowing what that man did. And this toast is to you for your years of torture for deciding what you should do and the years of torture that you put yourself through. And I know that what you've gone through whether you put it out in the public or whether you kept it as a personal story, I just want you to know that you're not a monster. Mm. So to you, Medusas, Medusas. cheers. So what do you want to tell me that you are into this week? Okay. So, um, (laughs) to mention Olivia for the hundredth time. Hey, Olivia. (laughs) She recently gave me this kind of like pile of books because she was like cleaning out her house and she was like, you know, maybe you'd want to read these. So one of them was Abby Jacobson's book. Mm. So she is one of the, you know, co-stars of Broad City. So her and Alana Glazer write the show together and they're so fucking funny. That show is so good. If you had the chance to watch it, really watch Broad City. It's fantastic. (laughs) Um, So she, during, I think it was the wrap up of like the fourth season uh, or third or fourth season, she decided, she was like, okay, so now we have to go to post-production. Post-production's in LA. I am going to, I need some time to myself. I'm going to drive from New York to LA by Do myself. It. Do it, girl. And I'm going to take a road trip. And it is kind of like looking into someone's diary. Like, it's mm. very honest. It's very raw. Like, it's very rambly, which I kind of like in a personal memoir because I feel like it's very real. It's like a ghostwriter did not write this. <laughs> this is real life. This is real. This is like, I feel like I am reading the exact words that you typed the night that you couldn't go to sleep and you were up <laughs> until two o'clock in the morning. Right. Like, <laughs> I love that. That's in favorite. a random B&B in Charlottesville, North Carolina or whatever. <laughs> like, you know, it is just, it's really good. And I really like the way it's written. And she, I just think she's so funny. And it's nice because I love the show Broad City. So she kind of like puts little things into it. It makes you realize like, wow, like her and Alana are actually friends. Like that's so nice. And, and again, it kind of, I don't know, it kind of goes back to that, this Evelyn Nesbitt thing of like, you know, you would think like, wow, you're like such a successful comedian. Like Broad City's huge. Like you're part of Comedy Central now. Like that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like she went from going to art school at Micah here in Baltimore. To nothing. To like <laughs> <laughs> being this huge star. Right. And the struggles she talks about are just so much of like what everybody thinks, you know, and it's just mm-hmm. a really good insight. So her book is called I Might Regret This. Mm which I feel like is probably the title of everybody's book about their life. Like right. Why not? <laughs> I might regret publishing this, Yeah, um, but it's really good. And she writes, she does all this like sketches and she's just very vulnerable in it. So Abby Jacobson's book, I might regret this. I love it. <laughs> so I want to promote ready player one. What is because that? I didn't expect it. So ready player one is a big dork genre book. So it's something I had to read to just be accepted in my family. (laughs) 
So for those of you who don't know, I have three <laughs> siblings who are in a very much dork genre, which means they're way cooler than I will ever be. Like I am not even in the realm. So in most people's families, you know how like everybody's an athlete and there's that like one kid who You mean like, like my family and Jake is that one kid? Well, no, no, no. Opposite of that. Oh. Everybody in your family's into sports, but Zach is the one kid that isn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that. Like everybody in my family's real nerd. Zach is in like the statistic of sports. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm saying. So everybody in my family was into like, let's play risk tonight. <laughs> and I was like, but can we watch the football game? Like, <laughs> like it was one of those. Allie's like, who wants to go outside? <laughs> Someone's like, I can't, I can't. I don't want to. The sun. <laughs> yeah, my family's <laughs> vampires. So I was a big outcast, but like in normal families, I would have been an in-cast. So I ah, want to put that there. So I've, okay. I've constantly throughout my entire life tried to be accepted amongst the nerds. <laughs> and I never will be. But I, they had me read this book, Ready Player One, which has since been turned into a movie. I haven't watched the movie yet because I always do the book first. And I was going, they told me it was good. And I was like, okay, fine. So I go into it and it's like a normal dude playing video games. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then I'm reading and I'm reading and I'm reading. And it's about poverty and addiction to technology and race and sexuality and gender and corporations. And I was blown away after i finished i was on a two-week book hangover that i couldn't even touch another book because i was like i can't be near any i just want to be back in this book oh, that sounds great and i listened to it on audiobooks <laughs> and will wheaton read it i don't know who that is oh <laughs> that's a big dork hero you can laugh. i don't know Star Trek. So we'll- I was in the sports family. I was in the in crowd in the sports family. Me and so Zach should changed places. Yeah. <laughs> but it was it was very good. And now producer is listening to it on audiobook, and he's also impressed. And he's not into the idea of video games. So like it was very wow, big steps. It was very good, and it has <laughs> nothing to do with like women's rights or like. <laughs> anything at all it's just really oh i was shocked i was shocked at how good it was excellent so that's worth it (laughs) ready player one read the book or watch the movie i don't care which one you do but do it (laughs) all right i'm excited that sounds great well thank you for that (laughs) two books in one episode that's exciting we always do books you know we do we typically do we read a lot I did, I did. I did vegetables try. last week. You did. No, it's fine. I can't remember. What, no, you did. Oh yeah, yeah. Last week. Mm-hmm. No, the week before. Was this that? the episode that aired today? You did vegetables. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't remember what you did last week. Me neither. <laughs> oh, I did the magicians. That stupid Netflix mm, show. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to grow my grow my horizons beyond books. <laughs> Well, thank you all so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this he- mm-hmm. episode of Her Story on the Rocks. On the Rocks. On the Rocks. Um, I'm Katie. And I'm Allie. <laughs> and we hope you learned and laughed and loved. And as we like to say, oh, also rate and review us. That would be fucking fantastic. Yeah, what the hell, guys? Uh, rate and review us. <laughs> um, share this with some friends. Just be like, 
hey guys, you should totally listen to this cool new podcast out. First half, second half, all the half? All of it. Um, And (laughs) just get the word out there because we do do a lot of work and research for this. And we would love to see some more people get reached by this podcast. (laughs) And as we like to say on Herster and the Rocks, well-behaved women. Don't drink box wine. They do not. And that is why I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that is why they will rarely make history <laughs> on the rocks. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Have a good night. Bye. Bye bye. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover send us an email at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com and if you'd like to drink along with us we post the drink recipes a couple days in advance on instagram and twitter see you there bye